ready for war. Never back down. Give me some more. We came for the title. Welcome into their episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this week's episode, we have Matt Hollett on the podcast. Matt is currently the associate head coach at Northwest Nazarene University in Idaho. In this episode, Matt talks about recruiting, the transfer portal, the differences between all the levels, Division I, II, III, NAIA, and junior college level. Matt has coached at every level except the NAIA level, so he has a ton of experience over the course of his 20-year career. And then we lastly get into pitching, and we talk about command and how he, he has his pitchers throwing off the mound way more now than ever before throughout the week and throughout the year and how that's helped them improve their command and actually decrease injuries. So it's really good stuff. He, he, he does a really nice job of explaining how they go about their program in this episode from a pitching standpoint. And then, as I said earlier, we also get into a lot of recruiting talk and transfer portal and some of the things that maybe you want to know before you head into the portal or before you set your sights on only going and playing Division I college baseball and not talking to all levels. If you enjoy this podcast and maybe you've listened to prior episodes or maybe after you listen to this one, please make sure to, to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening, and leave us a review. Leave us a five-star rating. That helps improve the show in the sense that it's going to reach more people, which is going to allow us to impact more players. And at the end of the day, that's what we that's what we want to do here. So Appreciate you doing that. Hope you enjoy this episode with Matt Hollid, Northwest Nazarene University. Here we go. This is the future. This is my time. I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line. I'm holding my ground. I'm never back down. All right, we now welcome on to the podcast, Matt Hollid. Matt, appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. So we were just uh, talking about some some really good content that you were just sharing with me and recruiting information and I think one of the things that you had just said was I think was it was it 4.3 percent of all division one players get drafted and I thought that was interesting because most of the times kids who want to go division one want to go a lot of times to get drafted and you throwing that statistic out there makes you realize well just because you go division one doesn't necessarily increase. I mean, you still have a long way to go to get drafted, and that's not even taking into consideration out of that four percent. How many of those are are power five? Um, is that something that you run into at the Division two level a lot, where you maybe you'll lose guys because they want to go Division one just for the hopes of solely maybe getting drafted? Yeah, definitely. Real quick to go back, I think, I mean, the numbers that I saw and and I've looked at the past few drafts, I think the number was more around right around 4.7% of division one players uh, get drafted. Um, And then the next highest levels are division two and junior college. And I want to make this a point, like people will see more junior college players get drafted, but that's because there's like two to three times more junior colleges than there are division two. So percentage wise, Division two and junior college are right around the same. I think division two was more a couple years ago and less this year, um, but they're basically right around the same. And then NAIA is the next and then division three. But yeah, the, the, the percentages are, are slim, you know, and I just think it's, uh, I think it's kind of crazy sometimes how so many players are basing their college decisions and commitments off of 
wanting to get drafted, you know, when in reality, it's a very small number. And so I don't know, I just, I think I would be telling parents and, you know, I, I, I mean, I have nephews that are, that have been through it and going through it right now. And I tell their parents the same thing where it's like, and you should base your decision off of the location, the financial side of it, the coaching staff, the academics, um, whatever it may be. But I think there's so many more um, other variables that probably are more and more important than, than actually getting drafted. Now, there are certainly a handful of guys in the country that, you know, are talented enough and good enough to get drafted and they know they're going to get drafted. And that might be a different story for them. But for the vast majority of of college baseball players, like you need to be making your college decisions off other things. Are you worried at all that the Division two schools are, are going to become more the, the junior college in the sense that kids will go D2 and then transfer from because if I guess if I'm a, a four if I'm a division one coach I would much rather get a get a division two kid who's produced than I would probably a junior college kid no well it's interesting that you say that too and I think you're right um I you know I can't speak for everyone but I do know over the last couple of years um that I've spoken to a handful of division one coaches who have said that same thing they would rather bring in a guy at the division two level than the junior college level. Now that doesn't mean that I think, I, I think obviously at both levels, there's very good teams, um, you know, and there's good teams at division three level and division two and junior college, good teams all over the place. Um, but I think from top to bottom division two is pretty solid throughout. And, but for whatever reason, yeah, that they, they want uh, the division two level. Maybe it's, it's also, I know there's some junior colleges out there that use wood bats and it, it could be a little deceiving um, guys that put up numbers at the division two level. Um, yeah. I think there's, I think there's a handful, if not a lot of division one coaches who value that and you're starting to see it. And this year uh, you know, you saw more division one schools recruit out of the portal, other division one players or division two players, division two, there was a lot of players. And I think it's only going to get more in the future. We had three guys go to Division One in the last two years. Um, we just had a guy a couple weeks ago that went to Division One, and I just think it's like we can't be that program that tells kids like, "No, you're going to stay here, and you're going to stay here for four years." No, we're not moving you on. Like, no, like, like, like they're not going to want to come here, and you just have to adapt to the landscape, the recruiting landscape. And I tell kids now, and I've been doing it for a couple years. I was like, you know, like. If you come here and you get an opportunity to go division one, we'll support you. I mean, who are we to get in the way of a kid if he gets a really good opportunity to go to a good division one school and get an opportunity to play, get a good scholarship? Like, I'm not going to get in the way of that. Like, I will be supportive of that. And so now I'm telling kids that and you could use division two as a stepping stone to division one. And you're seeing it. And I think you're going to see it more and more. You've been coaching college baseball for over 20 years, pretty much all the levels. What are like, what's some of the, the, the differences? I think this may help people a little bit since you have the experience firsthand, because I'll give you an example. Like when I first got out of coaching out of pro ball, I thought that there was, I assumed that there was like, Hey, there's the draft players, the players who are, are better than everybody else. Cause I knew how to identify those just being in pro ball. And then I just assumed kind of anybody else who played baseball, they could just play in college and play D one or whatever. 
And it wasn't until 12 months in where I realized, oh, that looks like a Division three. That's a Division three player. That looks like more so a, a D1 player. You can start to, to pick different players in just because there's not a big difference, but there is a difference, in my opinion anyway. What are, what are some of the things for you that separate the levels? Well, first, I think that obviously the, the, the better talents at the Division one level. There's just a higher percentage of guys. They have more depth, I think, at that level. Um, in my opinion, in my opinion, from coaching at Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, junior college, um, I haven't coached NAI, but in my opinion, I think the next highest level um, throughout is probably Division Two, and junior college is is close. Um, and uh, but yeah, the highest is obviously Division One, and there's. It's uh, the division two and the junior college division three. They just don't have as much depth on those rosters. Um, but when you're talking about a division one athlete, a guy who's going to go to division one out of high school, um, they just have something special. You know, they move around the field easy. Um, they, they hardly strike out if they're a hitter, you know, yeah. um, if, if, if you're a, if they're a pitcher, they got the velo in the velo nowadays the division one levels it's probably not what 90 i don't know what the average is i would i would think that the average is probably uh high 80s low 90s the average but you're seeing guys throw 95 96 97 like all over the country at the division one level division two level i think the average is probably 86 you know and on the top end you're seeing guys you know hit 90 91 i i know that the few pitchers that we've had that that come in throwing 83, 84. And, and by the end of their career, they're throwing 91, 92. That's kind of the top end for us. And, and hitters have a tough time at this level with 91, 92, because they just don't see it as much. Um, and then I think the lower levels that the, the velo even goes down further. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that stand out, but yeah, hitters just, you know, they, they just walk around differently. They play the game differently. But I think from the biggest, the biggest thing is they just don't strike out. And then on the pitching side of it, you got velo, um, you got velo, which is in the upper, you know, upper nineties with some programs and, and they're throwing harder. So it's interesting, but um, it, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely a difference. And I also think from coaching at the division three level, um, division three level is more academic and um, you just get more players in that environment and that program that are more concerned with academics, which is a good thing. Um, and at the other levels, you get more guys that are there to play baseball, which, um, you know, we go, we, I mean, I say that, but we all got to remember that, hey, like, again, we go back to the, the percentages, right? And like the people that get drafted and how it's it's still very, very low, like you have to you have to take your academics seriously because baseball is going to come to an end for almost all of us at some point. And so you got to have something to fall back on. And so your education is really, really important, but you just see more of that at the division three level than you do division two, division one, junior college, you see more guys that are like in it to like, Hey man, I want to, I want to keep playing as long as possible and go pro. You've obviously done a lot of recruiting out of the transfer portal, talking to a lot of different players, and, I, and I've had some a lot of players reach out to me, too, because I've had a couple of schools ask if I could, you know, put a couple of tweets out and and um, see if we get because they were looking for a couple of specific positions. 
um, and just bombarded with with players. And I, I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was like, man, some of these guys, you know, at the Division One level, they didn't really produce, and yet they still want to go transfer to another Division One. I. I was like, I, I don't really know how that works. And then Division Two and Division Three, they didn't dominate, and they think that they're they should be going Division One. Why is it such a why 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 do you think so many players are I hate to say this but like delusional in the sense that if you don't dominate you're not going to go play at the highest level. I've thought about that and I don't know you know I don't know if this is the correct answer or not but I I do think it starts with at a younger age there's too many people telling these kids that they are going to get drafted um and that they're good enough to go play division 1 baseball and so I think it starts with you know, the people that are the, the guys, the, the coaches that are working with these kids um, and just not being realistic with them. And so then, yeah, when you get into the transfer portal and you're recruiting, I mean, we come across so many kids and, and I'm I'm trying to get bounce backs from the division one level. And I'm trying to get guys that didn't produce at that level or didn't get an opportunity. Like I'm not even going after the guys that, that put up good numbers. I'm like, they're, they're not they're going to go to another D1. But then there's, you know, hundreds of kids that go in the portal that had a 10 ERA, you know, or a 12 ERA, and they only threw five innings, or they only got 10 at bats, or they didn't play at all. And I reach out to those guys, and they're like, no, no, thank you. I'm, I'm I want to go D1. So, and like, I get it. Like, we all want to play at the highest level. You know, I mean, we all want to play at the highest level. And, and if you get a good opportunity, and usually what a good opportunity means is a good scholarship. Um, and if you get that, it's hard, it's gonna be hard to, to pass that up, you know, at the division one level, I get it. Um, but we have to be honest with ourselves and understand like, and there's, there's kids I reached out to that were at the division three level for three years. And they had a total of like five innings and their ERA is like an 18 and they're still turning, turning me down or not even giving me the, the attention. And I'm sure it's not only us, it's all over the country and they want to stay at the division one level. And then they go to division one and then they get another 10 innings or five innings and they don't play very much. They don't perform. And it's like, you know, and, and someone could say, well, they gave it a shot, you know, and it's what they really wanted to do. And they're right, you know, but at the same time, you sit back and it's like, what would you rather have? Would you rather have, would you rather be at the division one just to say it, you're, just to say that you're at the division one level? Or would you want to potentially be at a lower level where you can play every day and have a chance to be a dude? And you know, I'll, I'll share an example with you that, of a guy that we got last year. He was a Division One guy. He, he threw, he threw, I think, eight innings with a ten ERA, or vice versa, like a, like ten in, ten innings with an eight ERA. He was just another guy in the bullpen at the Division One level. Um, we gave him an opportunity to come here. He ended up being a back end dude for us, an all region guy. Ended up throwing like thirty nine innings, had like a one point seven ERA, struck out fifty nine guys. And signed a professional contract at the end of the year. And he comes in at the end of the end of the season and thanked us. And, you know, and a big part of that was on him. He performed, he produced, but we gave him the opportunity. This level gave him the opportunity. And, you know, I don't know. And he's, he doesn't know. He's like, if I would have stayed at that level, I probably wouldn't be playing right now. You know, because I probably would have been just another guy that threw another eight to 10 innings. But here, you know, he just improved his stock, you know, and, and so that goes back to like, oh, well, kids want to go D1 so they have a better chance of getting drafted. Well, you mentioned earlier that the vast majority of that 4.7% are probably in Power 5 conferences. 
So if you're going to a power five, great, you know, but if you're not going to power five and you're going to a mid-major or whatnot, is it that much better of a chance to get drafted than if you were playing every day at a lower level? I'm sure it probably is a little bit, but it's not that, it's not that huge of a difference, you know, and in this guy's example, like he had an opportunity to pitch every weekend in critical moments and put up numbers as opposed to being just another guy in a bullpen on a division one team. So it worked out for him in this example. And I can tell you from my own experience as a player, and I know I'm, I'm Matt, I think you were a better hitter than I was and better player than I was in college. But you know, I remember my freshman year, I got, I didn't play at all. Like I think I had 30 or 40 at bats. I mean, really didn't play very much sparingly. Wasn't always on the travel roster and that's no fault to anybody. I just, I wasn't good enough. I tell you what, that wasn't, it wasn't fun. I mean, yeah, I could go and you could say, well, it's D1, this and that. It doesn't matter. It's, it's boring. I hate to say it, but it's when you're not getting to play or have a chance to compete at all. And so, I don't know. I mean, I think just a, if you're having, if you're playing, you're going to have fun. You're increasing the chances that you're having fun out on the field and, and going to a place where you can play, you have a chance. You don't have a chance of getting drafted if you're on the bench at a Division One school. I don't care what anybody says, you don't. I've, I helped out on the draft for a couple of years. I was with the Orioles. We weren't looking at guys just because of the name of the school. I mean, we got we drafted kids out of a um, see, Florida Southern, Division Two kid, um, Division Three kid a uh, year before that. So, I mean, it, it, that doesn't matter as much. It just matters if you're going to go to a place where you can play. And I think I, think I mentioned this earlier, but – you go to Division Two and you dominate. I think this past season at Coastal Carolina, they're starting. It was either second baseman or shortstop. I believe second baseman. He started every single day. Previously was at Cedarville University, a Division Two school in Ohio, and he hit. I mean, he tore it up this year for Coastal Carolina. He tore it up. He had better numbers this year at Coastal Carolina than he did the previous season at Cedarville University, which is a Division Two school. So I think just. Putting out stories like that, I think I, I hope will help players and parents understand a little bit more. Um, and I hate to kind of go on a rant here, but I, I always get fired up about this stuff. The last thing I'll say is this. I, I think a lot of times it, it does come down to status. It comes down to telling other people you're playing Division One, And I think the irony is um, everybody, they may like your tweet. They may retweet it, but they don't really care. People are, are programmed to really th worry about themselves. They're not worried about you. And so I always find that interesting. Follow up on that real quick. Okay. Because um, okay. you, you, you said that, uh, you know, having fun and playing. And I agree with you 100%. And my first year in college, I redshirted. You know, it's, it's very rare when, when, college, when high school kids come out of high school and play a lot their freshman year. It is very rare. And I would love to know the percentages of that, you know. And nowadays, and I'm actually telling, telling guys now, I'm like, now you can increase your chances of playing by like, let, let's say you're a fringe D1 guy, you're getting some D1 interest, but you know, like, okay, well, it's, it's very tough to play there right away. And you can, you can increase your chances of playing a lot right away by going to like here, like a D2 level playing, and then you can transfer to a D1. You don't have to sit out. So the landscape, the recruiting landscape is completely changed. Um, and it, and I, and it, and it, parents, like you said, like parents and players need to know this angle, um, and this route because I, it's frustrating. And, and I feel sad for some of the guys that get so stuck on D one and then they go there and they sit the bench for two years 
And so I'm, I'm just, I want to get this information out there so they know there's other options and other avenues for them to go and have fun and play. And they can still eventually work their way up to D1. Um, and I think it's, yeah, I just think it's important for parents and players to start to understand this. Do you, do you think, I don't know if you were able to hear the um, last part of what I was saying before, but do, do you think a big part of it is just the, the status amongst their friends and peers of saying yeah, that they're going I'm not Division gonna, one? Yeah, I'm not going to deny that. I would bet that's, that's, but that plays into it a little bit, you know, like, I mean, sounds so much cooler, you know, to say I'm going to a D1. Um, and again, I go back to like, hey, we all want to play at that level. And if you get a great opportunity and great scholarship to do so, then it's going to be hard to pass that up and, and do it. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's going to be a great opportunity, but I think there's too many kids that get a very minimal scholarship or are invited to walk on at a division one. Um, and those situations I'm like, especially when those kids are getting offers from lower levels to be, come in and be dudes and play all the time. And they're passing those up to go be a walk on like those situations. I'm like, those are tough to swallow. Also, I mean, could you speak a little bit upon, I, I think you mentioned earlier that I think there's times when even from an academic standpoint, eligibility standpoint, there's a lot of players who go into the portal maybe and don't really know a lot of the, the rules on, on how it works. Could you maybe explain like what are some of the things that you've talked to players about and, and they didn't really understand how the portal works and and I just I find it interesting that players go into the portal and, and don't really know all the rules on coaches you can call, how many times you can transfer, that sort of a thing. Yeah, well, and and we learned a couple new ones this summer. I mean, it's evolving, right? It's changed over the last year or two. Um, but yeah, I mean, some things like, yeah, you, you get granted a one-time transfer from a four-year to a four-year. Um, so we reached out to a kid this year who – never got back to us. And then I reached back out to him again. And then he's like, well, sorry, coach, sorry for not getting back to you, but I can't transfer to the four year because I already did it once. So then I was like, well, not necessarily. I was like, was your money taken away at the, at the, at your school? And he's like, yeah, like, okay, well then you can, because that's a no opportunity uh, waiver form that, you know, compliance just sends your compliance and, and you can do like anytime your scholarships taken away, or you're not getting an opportunity to play, then you can transfer. Um, you know, you can transfer it also if you've done it once, you can still do it again. If you're a graduate student, once you graduate from the university, then you can transfer again. Um, and then there's some timelines, like if you don't get in the portal by a certain date, then you can't transfer to another four year. Um, so there's some things that go into it. But yeah, I mean, those are a couple that that stick out on my on my mind here um, that a couple players didn't know that they could do. But it's 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 a kind of a new thing, right? I mean, it's this whole portal thing is crazy. Um, I honestly hope that the NCA steps in and does something about it, to regulate it a little bit. I mean, in my mind, I think that the transfer portal is good for those players that aren't getting an opportunity and want to go somewhere where they can play. I think it's good, but I think there's a problem with the transfer portal if a guy from a mid-major is their best player and he's just going in the transfer portal to go to a better D one. And so the rich get richer and it's going to get to a point if it's not already where there's going to be only about 15 to 20 teams at the division one level that have a chance to win a national championship because they could basically get whoever they want with NIL money, transfer portal, people coming, you know, going where the grass is greener 
And so there, I think the NCAA needs to step in and do something about that. Um, or, I mean, you can't prevent someone from transferring to a school, but at least like, if you're going to do that, you need to sit out. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, if someone's not getting an opportunity to get their scholarship taken away, you know, and maybe on the playing time side of it, maybe it's like there's a minimum number of at-bats or innings. Like if you go over that, then you can't transfer without sitting out, you know, I like, like that. yeah, if you, if you're, if you're a hitter and you only get 15 at-bats, it, okay, you can transfer. But once you get to like 40 or 50 at whatever it may be, you know, um, but I think the NSA definitely needs to look into like regulating this a little bit. Did you have any players throughout the season who told you that they were getting calls from schools seeing if they were going to go in the portal or not? I have not. And I don't know if any of our players would, I don't know if they would want that. I don't know if they would say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason I, I said that is I, I have I heard know. that from other schools. Yeah. And, and no, and I don't, and I know that's happening. I, I haven't witnessed it in here at our place, but, um, it, it wouldn't surprise me that, you know, just through, through someone else, the school says, Hey, you know, if you go into the portal, you can go here, you know, or they got this much money for you or whatever. Like it's wrong, you know, but I'm sure teams are doing it. I want to talk a little bit about kind of what you guys do from a, a baseball standpoint. I mean, I know you're, you, you're pitching, but you've also has a background hitting wise. Um, take me through like what's it like like what what are some of the things that you value from a, a pitching standpoint from a development standpoint there's so much information out there on on pitching and developing pitchers and i think twitter can be a great place if you're looking in the right right spots um, for information but based on all your years coaching like what are some of the things that that you value and you implement with your pitchers well, I, uh, I could tell right off the bat, one thing I value is command. Um, you know, and I know there's a lot of guys that get wrapped up and they search for velo, velo, velo. And, you know, players want to throw as hard as they can and coaches want the guys that throw really hard. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, it's like if you can't command the baseball, like you're not going to pitch, you know. Um, so I value command and years ago like I, i've always been intrigued with development and on ever since i started working with pitchers um probably started back in 2009 um i've been intrigued by you know what's easier to develop velocity or to develop command um you know a lot of guys it used to be that a lot of guys would think like oh we'll get we'll get the guys that throw really hard and we'll develop their command. Now I'm not too sure if it's not easier to develop velocity um, with all these training tools that we have. And, um, but I could be wrong. I mean, that's debatable. Um, but I would ask questions to coaches like, yeah, how do you, how do you like develop command? And for, for years, I never got like a good answer, like an answer that I was satisfied with, you know, and, you look at the pro level and guys come in to pro ball and you, you see these stories about Randy Johnson, Nolan Ryan, these guys that get into pro ball and they're really, their command's not good when they first get into pro ball. But then over time, all of a sudden they start getting in the zone and they start commanding the baseball. And then all of a sudden their careers take off. Right. Um, and so I asked myself like, what was that? Is that something that was it a mechanical uh, fix was it a mental fix um maybe it was i'm sure it was for some but 
at the same time, I believe that even if it was a mechanical, you know, something mechanically that, that you did that worked, I think really that helped you up here. It helped you in the, in your brain, in your mind to really believe in yourself. And maybe that mechanical fix um, or that rhythm that you got on the mound now is really making you believe and give you confidence. And I, so I think, I think over the years, ultimately, I just feel like you like it's, confidence like confidence is huge and how do you develop confidence and in my mind i think like confidence equals command and you know and i don't want to say like like i'm talking about command here and command is i value command and command is really really important to me but i don't i don't devalue i don't think it's you know obviously velocity is important i mean obviously the harder that you throw you can get away with more right so it's a good thing movement is a good thing you know, the, the more your ball movement moves, like Lorenzen, Michael, he just threw a no-hitter last night. I mean, that guy's ball moves all over the place. Like, you know, so they're all important. Uh, command, movement, velocity, it's all important. But uh, a guy that I once coached with, Tim Nyman, out at Sales University once said this, and I, and I agree 100%. He's like, it's command, movement, and velocity in that order. And not to say that any of them aren't important, but it's in that order. And I believe in that hundred percent, like, cause you, you could have a guy that comes in and throws 95 miles an hour and has really, really good movement and really good stuff. But if he can't command the ball, he's not going to pitch. So ultimately you need to eventually command the baseball. And so go back to like, you know, Years ago, when I started asking coaches, like, what was the trick? What do they do to develop command? How do you get guys, you know, throw strikes? And I never really got a good answer. And it just, I just, I just thought, like, okay, well, at the pro level, you know, these guys, like I mentioned, Randy Johnson, takes some, take two, three, four, five years in the minor leagues. Now they have a lot of time to develop guys at the pro level, right? You can put them in the minors for four or five, six years, let them figure it out. But eventually they do. And what stood out to me was, that was, it was reps. It was continuously doing the same thing, your delivery, your motion over and over to where you learn how to repeat your mechanics, repeat your release point, repeat your arm action. And the more you do it over and over, the more confident you get in executing pitches off of the mound. And so Something that that I have incorporated back in 2017, I was at RCC, Riverside Community College, and it was really the, f- the first time. Well, actually, let me go back to like 2009. It was the first time I did it with a guy. We had a guy at that time at the Division One level. He's throwing 91-93. 91-93 at that, at that time was pretty good, you know, for Division One pitcher, but he was all over the place. He was all over the place. And so I just... I'm like, okay, we're going to get on the mound as much as possible. I want you to get on the mound literally four to five times a week. Now, some people will say, well, that's not safe. You know, you're, you're putting a lot of stress on your arm. But we didn't throw like 40, 50 pitches every time we went on the mound. We would just get up there more frequently, but we would throw less pitches. Now, we would still have traditionally like maybe a lot of programs. It's different now, I'm sure. But like traditionally, you'd have like a bullpen like once a week, maybe twice a week, and then you throw live once a week. And you add up all those pitches, you know, if it's one bullpen, 40 pitches, 50 pitches, um, and then you get your live outing, which let's say you throw 80 to 100 
warm-ups in between. You got another, and then your warm-up before the game. I mean, you're close to 200. Your bullpen, you're close to about 240, 250. If you throw two bullpens and a and a and a live outing, you're you're close to over close to about 280, 290 for the week in terms of total pitches. So I'm like, how can we get on the mound more, you know, to help with that confidence and help and learning how to repeat and, but, but we can, but we can throw less. So we just, we got him on the mound four or five times a week, but we would throw less. There'd be days where he got on the mound where he could only throw 15 pitches, you know, 10 pitches, but he's getting on that mound. He's getting on the bump more often throughout the week. And he's learning how to repeat his delivery, repeat his arm action, his release point. And if you do two more times a week over the fall, you're looking at about 15 to 20 more times in the fall. If you're in the spring and you're getting two more times off the mound in the spring, you're looking at about probably 30 to 40 more times in the spring that you're off of the mound than traditionally. So now you add those up and you're off the mound 60 to 70 more times throughout the, the season. And I'm a believer that like over time, you're going to start to gain some confidence in executing your pitches and you're going to start to get command. This first guy that I did back in 2009 literally took him a year and a half. It was a year and a half later where all of a sudden he was dialing it in. Uh, 91, 93 from left side and, and just all of a sudden had command. And in 2017, I mean, that was one, that was one example. So for, for a few years, I was like, I was like, you know, okay, well, was that just a one-time thing? Was that just him? You know, because everybody's a little bit different. Um, but then in really 2017, I kind of implemented it with our entire pitching staff at RCC. And we had we had guys thrown on the mound as much as possible. Now, I think on the front end of that, how can we do that with being safe? Now, obviously, if someone, if their arm is telling them that they can't do it, it's sore, it's pain, like, then we didn't do it. Like, I'm not forcing guys to get on the mound that much. But one, I believe in long toss. And I think that if we do long toss the right way, and you can train your body to do it on a daily basis where you're throwing long and long to me is, is throwing it max effort to where it bounces to your partner. That tells me that you're getting the most out of your long toss. Um, I think even long toss, not only does it create athleticism, a good, strong, durable arm, um, but I think it works on command. And I tell guys in our program, like, Hey, like if you can play long toss at 200 feet, 250, 300, and you can throw the ball, on a bounce and it could be like, it could take your partner only a couple steps to the right or a couple steps to the left or it's right to them. Like that's command. Like you're learning command from a long distance. Um, you're also, I think long toss creates a healthy arm. So we do that. And then when you've built up to where you can play long toss every day, I a hundred percent believe that you can get off the mound more frequently and, and uh, throw, use those, get those bullets off of the mound. And I think you're going to be fine. And I think you're going to be strong and healthy and you're going to be able to do it. Um, the guys that I've played with over the years that have had strong and durable arms and have been able to last. There's a correlation between those guys and like in long toss, the guys who play long toss. And I think it's really, really healthy. So one, we do that, but yeah, then go back to 2017. Like we, we had all of our guys basically like, hey, this is what we want to do. Now, if you can't do it on a certain day, then no problem. You know, I, I would set up the bullpen day and the live day for them. And then short work, what I call short work, and it's just based off the number of pitches, it's basically 15 pitches or less. But there's always a purpose when you get on the mound, whether it be 
slide steps, fastballs in, fastball change of combination, fastballs up in the zone, uh, varying your times, being quick to the plate, whatever it may be. There's always got to be a purpose when you get on the mound. But the more frequently these guys got on the mound, even if it was 15 pitches, we've had a lot of success with it. And I think it's translating into and that first year at RCC, we had a pitching staff. Of, I mean, it wasn't like I mean, we had one guy went to a mid-major D1 and the rest of the guys didn't go D1. And so it wasn't like we had a bunch of D1 arms on there that were really, really good. But we we uh, we had quite arguably the, the best stats in the country at the junior college level that year. And we had the fewest walks in the country. And a lot of those numbers that we were good at were, were walks, you know, like command-oriented. Uh, 2018 was good. We came up here and we, we've been here for five years. And in 2021, the year we went to the World Series, and in 2022, we were top 10 in the country in like four different command categories, hip, walks per nine. And now part of it is is recruiting, right? I mean, like being able to recruit pitchers that if we value command, we recruit guys that can throw strikes with multiple pitches. That's obviously part of it. But we've also had guys that don't have a good command, and a year, six months later, a year later, they're they're believing in themselves, and they're throwing strikes. Um, and I like to think that, you know, taking this approach of getting off the mound more frequently teaches them to go through those rep, uh, those reps, and to learn how to repeat your delivery and your and release point on a day to day basis. And then all of a sudden you start to believe in yourself and have confidence and confidence essentially leads to command. So it's something that we value. We've had some success with it and it works for us. I've talked to a couple other coaches who have started implementing like, yes, more times off the mound and there's been positive results for them. And so, um, yeah, it's something we value and, and, I, I enjoy improving with guys because I think ultimately at the end of the day, when guys have command and they can pitch, they're going to be a much happier baseball player. And it's going to be way more rewarding than like, okay, yeah, you hit 95, but you have no idea where it's going, which is good. Don't again, don't get me wrong. Like velocity is good, but we have to be able to command the baseball. Mm. Sorry. That was, that was a lot. I can, I just keep going here. No, that was that was great, man. I'm glad you. I love that confidence. You know, equals command. I think that's that's awesome. I um, I think my biggest takeaways from what you from what you were just said was the value of, of long toss and and accurately being able to long toss regularly. And then the the other one, that really the main one, is just getting on the mound more frequently. And I assume you mean when you say getting on the getting on the mound, that doesn't necessarily always mean throwing a hundred percent max effort on the mound. I assume, or like, what would you say the percentage is when you have guys getting on the mound in between starts or in between outings on the mound in a game? Well, um. I think I think it's one. I think it's hard to really emulate the like if if you're in a if you're in a if you're in a game and you're pitching off the mound. I think it's really difficult to get that exact same focus, energy, uh, effort from that game and take it into a bullpen. I think it's difficult. Um. But we try to get that, and we try to, like I said, we try to have a purpose when we're on the mound. We put batters in, and we try to make it as realistic as possible because 
when I first started doing this, it was like, I'm, I'm watching BP and I'm like, what do, what do hitters need to get good at? They need to get good at like one. I think the most important thing with hitting is like timing. You be on time. You got to be on time to hit. And every day hitters hit in the cage and they face something. Now it's not completely realistic to game light because, and when you're taking BP, even if it's a machine where you're pumping up to 90 miles an hour, well, it, that's a machine. It's not a guy. You're not seeing the motion. You're seeing it. It's not completely realistic, but they try to do whatever they can to make it as realistic as possible. And hitters hit every single day in the cage off of that. And they try to, and they work on their timing and they, they work on it every day. So I'm like, why can't pitchers do that? You know, I'm like, and so that's kind of where it started. I'm like, yes, I think we can do that. We can do that if we believe in long toss and take care of our bodies and we can get on the mound and throw more frequently off of the mound. Now, I like to, you know, I don't want to go off the mound and have the catcher come up 10 feet in front of the plate. I want the catcher to be where he is. And So it's not a short, yeah, you're not throwing from like 45 feet. No, and the short for us, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. We, we, I just call it short just based on the shorter number of pitches that we throw. Um, you know, instead of throwing 20, 30, 40 pitches, we throw 15 or less. But yeah, I want the catcher back full distance because how do we need to get good? We need to get confident at throwing off the mound like that we do in a game. And in a game, we're on a mound, and we need to throw sixty feet to the catcher. And so that's what I want to do in the bullpen is get off the bullpen mound and throw sixty feet. So I don't have anything against having the catcher come up. I mean, there's guys that do that, and that's fine. I don't have anything against like flat ground work out when you're out when you're done playing catch. I have nothing against that stuff, but I think ultimately it's going to prepare you a little bit better if you get off of the mound because we need to learn how to execute pitches off the mound because that's what we need to do in games. That's awesome. I, I it, it makes complete sense to me. And again, you have more experience on the pitching side than I do, but it's like anything else. Like the more you do it, and especially if you're focused and they're deliberate reps, the better you're going to get at it. So I'm, I can definitely see why that helps players with command because I, even for myself, from a command standpoint, like when I'm free and easy and not thinking about anything, I'm able to, to spot up wherever I want to. And then once things start going on in my mind, then before you know it, you know, here comes the ball going anywhere. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I, I love that, man. Have you, have you seen other schools start to pick up on that more recently or is there for the most part teams aren't doing that a lot with their players just getting them on the mound as much as you guys are i don't really i mean there's there there's a couple close relationships that i have the coaches that i talk to and i know a couple of those guys are doing it more frequently like we do it but i mean i'd have to you know when we go play teams on weekends i mean you know they're i don't know what they're doing midweek you know and stuff so i'd have to have those conversations with the coaches you know but you know, and we even like, even when we play a weekend series, we have guys before the game going to throw five, 10, 12 pitches off the mound before the game, Wow! you know, to get themselves ready. And so they continue to throw the week at that week. And then all of a sudden, even if you're in relief that day, like you might go in before the game and get some work off the mound before that game that you might pitch. But are you throwing and as hard as you can? I'm okay then? with it. And some. Yeah, we throw like we throw normal, you know, I maybe and, and again, I, I go back to like, it's it's hard to like, are we going 100 percent max effort in those things? I mean, I'm sure not everybody is. Some guys are maybe going 90, 95. That's, you know, that's fine. Um, but I, I want to try to every time we're off the mound, 
I want to try to make it as realistic as possible as much as we can. Now, someone could listen to this and someone could say like, oh, how many injuries have you had? Because you're not doing it really, really safe. You know, you're like you're putting your pitchers in harm's way. But I go back to long toss and I go back to if we're doing long toss properly and we do, and we get to a point where we can play long toss on a daily basis or five, six days a week. I think we can easily do this. And I will knock on wood right now because sometimes injuries can be freak things. But I can count on my one hand twice the number of serious injuries that over the last 13 years that I've been working with pitchers that we've had. And one of those was from lifting. It wasn't even from pitching. So I take pride in, you know, working with command, but I also take pride in keeping our guys healthy. And I think a big part of that is our warm up, uh, what we do with our warm up and our long toss, and not only long toss, but our bands and, you know, our agility warm up and med balls and stuff like that. So, and I think that if you train your body and you're in a, a, a good, healthy state, uh, then yes, you can get on the mound and you can throw more frequently, like how I'm talking about. And, and again, also too, like I don't force guys to do it. Like once we go through our fall and once we get to the point where guys are throwing long toss and they feel good, I'm telling you, like, I'm not even like, like guys are doing it on their own. They're like, they're going up, they're, they're throwing short work. So the only thing that I schedule is they're once off the mound on a bullpen session and then they got their live outing, but then all the short works are up to them. And I don't even have to like, I mean, they're doing it on their own because they're healthy and they're feeling good. And if they're not, if they're fatigued, if their arm's telling them not to, then they don't do it. You know, there's freedom with that. When you say long toss, are you talking about airing it out as high and as far as you can? Is it more so on a line? How do you go about doing yeah, that's it? A good, yeah, that's a good question. I, it's funny that, like, yeah, long toss is maybe a little bit different to everybody, right? I remember a guy coming in a couple of years ago, and I'm talking about, like, when, when they come in in the fall, I kind of gauge, like, how many innings they threw last spring and in the summer, and how, how often have you been playing catch? Have you played long toss? Because we can't just start everybody on the same program that first week of fall because not everybody's probably used to it, right? right. So you have to work, you have to build guys up to it. And uh, the, the one guy goes, yeah, I threw long toss. I've been throwing long toss all summer. I'm like, okay, well, how how far? He's like, yeah, about 150. And I'm like, like, one, <laughs> like 150 is not long toss, man. Like, okay, I can't wait to get you in this fall here. But but my idea of long toss is we, we have like a, a three-step mechanical phase like when we first start. It's like five minutes. And then we just slowly back ourselves up into long toss and we slowly back up and everything on the way out is with an arc and it's nice and easy, really stretching out in here and getting the ball up in the air. And then when you even go long toss, when you go out to the farthest distance, you're throwing it max effort as far as you can. And there's, there's the arc. I mean, you're throwing it up in the air and, uh, and then as you work your way back in, another thing we do is we throw changeups from a longer distance. I think it does a pretty good job of, of teaching guys how to uh, create the proper arm action, arm speed for a changeup. So we come in about 20, 30 yards from our longest distance. We throw changeups. And then after changeups, we come in and we throw about six to eight on a line uh, right to our partner. And those are probably the hardest ones that we throw on a line. Everything else is kind of nice and relaxed and loose. And, and, and then as we come into 60 feet, then we, work from 60 feet flat ground. We work on uh, slide steps, being quick to the plate, that stuff. But that's kind of our throwing program. So yeah, to answer your question, our long tosses, yeah. I mean, you throw it with an arc up in the air and uh, you let it go, you let it go. And again, learn to command that. Learn to command that with your partner. And if you can command 250 feet, for the most part, I mean, you don't need to throw it right to the glove, but when you're 250 feet, 250 feet and you can throw it and he only takes a step to his right, 
or step to his left. And, you know, younger guys, you work, work in camps or you work with you guys come to your program and they throw a long toss and they're, they're chucking it 20 feet over the guy's head, over the shed, you know, or 20 feet to the right. The guy in line, you know, the guy working down the line next to him, like has to move out of the way. Cause they, I mean, like, like that, it's, it's weird. I find a correlate. There's a direct correlation between the guys that can't play long toss without interfering with the guys next to him or throwing the balls over the guy's head. Those are the guys that have command issues off the mound, you know, and the guys that, that guys that have really good command are the guys that can actually throw long toss to their partner. So love it. Tell you what, man, this has been incredible, man. Um, and we've been going for over an hour right now and, um, I know I've learned a ton. This has been, I just think it's great content. Just going back to the recruiting side, the portal, and then everything you just talked about with command, I think it's going to help a, a ton of people. Is there anybody on social media or Twitter that, that you would recommend or that you maybe like following that from a pitching standpoint, is there anybody, or is it just pretty sporadic? It's sporadic to be honest with you. And I think I, uh, I'm, I'm like less involved on X, X now, Twitter, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, X, yeah. as I was like a couple of years ago, but I think, I, I think I got more involved and I get wrapped, I get sucked into other things. And then I was like, you know, I think it could be good. Um, but then I think you go down rabbit holes and stuff like that. So, um, I just kind of browse and on there and, uh, you know, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll comment on anything really, <laughs> Yeah. you know, two 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 butterflies flying around or whatever you know like I'll just, i'm kind of all over the place on that but so that's awesome man well i'll tell you what we'll put your twitter handle in the show notes if anybody wants to to follow you on there and um appreciate you coming on man sharing sharing all your knowledge and i think it's i think it's very beneficial it is 